people, people, people. Richard Grove is starting season six of his autonomy course, and you really should be there. I don't think I could have gotten through the last 16 months of this world without the skills that Richard Grove gave me. So head on over to freemanbeyondthewall.com forward slash autonomy. Check it out. There's two links there. One's to an overview of the course. Another is to a 19 skills PDF download. Go check out that video, sign up for the course, and get on Richard's level. Thank you. Hello, everyone. I want to welcome you to the Free Man Beyond the Wall podcast. This is your host, P. Quinones. I invited Stefan Kinsella to return to the show. Stefan is a patent attorney, and he wrote the book Against Intellectual Property. I asked Stefan to come on and answer some questions about Joe Biden's mandate, how constitutional he thinks it is, what he thinks is going to happen with it. Does he think that states are going to nullify it? And then we're just going to start talking about a host of subjects. We're going to get into some HAPA. We're going to get into some local politics. And we just get into a conversation like we normally have when we're talking by ourselves. So without any further delay, here is Stefan Kinsella. Kinsella, my man, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good, man. Let's just jump right in because you are, I am so jealous of where you are leaving to go tonight. Uh, you want to tell everybody? I am heading tonight to uh, Bodrum, Turkey through Istanbul with uh, several of my friends are going to. Greg Moran from Atlanta and Juan Carpio from Ecuador, uh, who you know. I think uh, you met some of them. Anthony Semeroff uh, yeah. is going to, and lots of, uh, Seferina Moose is going. Um of course, Hans will be there. Hoppe will be there. So, uh, yeah, this may be my 10th time. We started this in 2006, I believe. I missed a few because of kid issues, but um, we missed last year, of course, because of COVID. So I think it's a, a truncated group this year because of COVID. We'll see when I get there. It could be smaller and more intimate. But anyway, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Cool. Making plans for next year. Wish I was one of that group. Okay, so let's just jump right in. What are you making of this mandate last week that Biden came up with? And what do you think the courts are going to say about it? <sighs> I haven't, I don't know. I mean, my first impulse is that it's outrageous, of course, but then, you know, there's lots of things the state has done the last 200 years, which are outrageous. And they just didn't get reported as much because it was before the internet. I mean, I'm not so sure that uh, it's beyond OSHA's purview because everything else OSHA does is insane too. Um the best theory I've heard is that it will be struck down as illegal, but not unconstitutional. So uh, Congress will have to revise the OSHA rules or something like that to let them do this. But I, I wouldn't bet on it. I'd say there's a 60 percent chance it will, it will, it will survive, um, which, which is crazy. I think it's totally unjust and unlibertarian and um, I would say un-American, but apparently it's not. What do you think? Completely insane. I mean, we've gone off the rails in 18 months. If you would have told me back in January of last year, half the things that have happened, people 
people have embraced and talked about federalism and yeah the governor of california re- referred to california as its own nation and and then that people would just not only comply yeah with whatever with everything but become warriors for it almost like you know hey you know my, my grandfather fought in World War II and he did his part. And this is me doing my part. And, you know, all I need to do is stay home or yeah. wear a mask and scowl at people who aren't wearing masks or get this vaccine that, you know, I mean, just that. A, stra- a strange mania has overtaken the nation. I don't understand why, because we've had previous pandemics and we didn't have this happen. Maybe it just... <sighs> Jeff Tucker and others have tried to explain why I still don't quite get it, but um, I'm not quite as, I mean, I'm not as much of a vaccine skeptic, I think, as some other people. So, I I mean, I'm still, as a libertarian, I'm against all the policy issues the same way as you. Uh, You and I had a little maybe disagreement on the Florida thing. Uh, And the interest that happened before this Biden thing. So my first thought was, shit, I guess I spoke too soon (laughs) (laughs) opposing DeSantis. But the more I thought about it, I still think I'm back to my original view. So in both cases, you have the, the federal government trying to tell businesses what to do. They're trying to tell them you have to insist that employees are vaccinated. And in DeSantis's case, he's telling them what to do. He's saying you cannot request that or you cannot uh, require your employees to be vaccinated. So technically, they're both unlibertarian, right? But of course, you know, I guess you're looking at it from more strategic or overall forest for the trees point of view, which one is really worse. We know which one's the big enemy. As always, it's the federal government and the central state. And in, in this case, you know, it's worse to force people to inject the vaccine into their body than to uh, suffer a fine for asking your employees to you know, prove that they're vaccinated, I guess. So I guess that's how I come down on it. But I still think they're both unlibertarian, I guess, is my 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 perspective. Yeah, I think. It, and I agree. I mean, <laughs> private property is not is just out the window at this point. I mean, correct. The idea of it. And. I just look at what what's more strategic at this point. So when you have when you have 18 months of insanity, and you've seen people suffer and you've I mean, I know pers- personal horror stories that I, I don't even I don't even talk about because I don't have permission to talk about them. And you just look and you're like, OK, so, you know, I was in Georgia up until recently. I left Georgia and moved to the Midwest um, a couple months ago and Georgia came out of it and last week in April last year said businesses can reopen if they want to. And a lot of businesses reopened and stayed open. Um, Cities did mandates, which, you know, is really not, I'd rather cities do mandates than states. You know, the smaller you can get with the mandates, the better, you know, so decentralized. um, Yeah. 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 And just watching what happened down there and then hearing stories from friends in California who are like, look, I've been, we're still locked down. You know, it's like 12 months later, we're still locked down. 13 months later, we're still locked down. It's just like, well, I mean, you're going to have to try to do something politically. Absolutely. Um, 
and it's going to be unlibertarian. You know, it's that you know, maybe, no one's, maybe. Like, I mean, well, you have I think Thomas Massey recommending civil disobedience, which I think may be one way to go. Um, you know, one thing I was posting on Twitter with all these libertarians favoring DeSantis, and I understand that you're grasping at any straw, but DeSantis is no, you know. It's kind of pathetic that we, we we praise these governors for letting us do things right that we have a natural right to do in Texas and in Florida. These guys are not really on our side. Uh, they're just mm-hmm. not as bad as the federal government. But what I was thinking was, you know, if you really were ballsy and had a sincere radical approach and wanted a strategy, um, you ought to favor DeSantis pulling a Tom Woods nullification thing and saying, listen. We're, we're not just going to – we're not going to fine employers employers for, for asking this. They can do whatever they want, but we think a lot of them are asking for vaccination because of pressure from the feds. We're going to protect them from that pressure by in, interposing, right, doing a nullification thing, saying we're going to use our state sovereignty. We're going to step, step up to the bat, and we're going to protect you from any penalties from the federal government. In other words, try to be ballsy and do a little quasi-secession thing and say, listen – the federal rules are null and void here. You do not have to comply with the federal rules. You don't have to ask your employees to get a vaccine. We're going to protect you. I don't know how you do that. I don't know if it'd be successful, but it at least would be a, a, a valiant attempt, I would think. That'd be way better than punishing employers for asking for vaccines. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you 100%. I can't, I, I can't argue with you. You know, I know my I know my property my private property principles. I think we're I thought, I thought you were going to say you know your place. No, no, no. Oh, <laughs> God damn. Just joking. <laughs> Getting a heavyweight on here. I got to be a careful. Um, but, you know, I think DeSantis is also well aware that he's in the middle of a culture war and that a lot of these businesses are against him just because he's a Republican, Correct. just because he's against this. And in the middle of a culture war, what happens is people tend to any chance that they can get to punish their enemies, they're going to take it. Yeah. And I think that's that's where we're at, you know, and considering that this culture war, you know, and I mean, you've you've studied enough HAPA and when you see a culture war happening, especially like what's happening now. OK, so everything that's happening in the culture is absolutely insane. People can't tell what's up or down anymore. A lot of people are just they're just existing at this point. And. You have a tendency to go one way or the other, and it's real easy to take sides and be like, "Okay, the left is the left is in charge. They control everything. They control the media. They control the institutions. They control academia. They control big tech. Then let's punish. I'm all for punishing them as much as possible, even on a personal level, because and it's kind of hard to argue against that because it's just a a human emotion that you know it's like all right these people would want to destroy me you know i mean these people want to like i mean i got i was one of the ones at pork fest that got sick and i got it bad i got it i had it for like two and a half three weeks mm-hmm. where i was down where i was down and i went through it i came through it i feel very confident from what i've seen out of israel that any kind of future i'm pretty well protected against yeah. any kind of future outbreak yeah and and um let me ask yeah, you a question. I don't um, want you to hold me down and put and put the you know these people want people to hold people down 
and stick needles in their arms. Do, and do that you to have me any, is the enemy. Do you have any personal regrets about not getting the vaccine beforehand? In other words, do you think that being vaccinated would have made your experience um, not as bad? I, it, it probably would have made my experience not as bad, but I still don't regret it. Okay. I'm still glad that I went through it because I went through it probably as bad as anyone that I've heard. And, oh no, no. Have you talked oh, to Justin, well, Justin Armand? Armand? Oh no, 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 no. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I went through of people that I've talked to. Yeah. Okay. And I'm glad to be able to tell the story. I'm yeah. glad to be able to say, yeah, I'm, I'm overweight. I'm over 50 and I pulled through this thing and I'm fine. Yeah. You know, and I can go up and down. I can do all the same things I used to do before it without yeah. any suffer, without any suffering and everything. And I don't know, man. I just think that this fact, this vaccine is going to turn into a flu vaccine. It's going to be like a yearly thing or a seasonal thing. Yeah. And I never had a flu vaccine in my life, you know, and it's just, I, I don't know. It's just, I'm a hard headed prick. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I got to say, I'm kind of glad I got I got it, too, after Porkfest, but I was vaccinated. But um, but my case was very mild, but I'm glad I got it because uh, I do have antibodies. I've checked and uh, I'm going to Turkey tonight. So I think the risk of me getting it while I'm there, which would result in some kind of bizarre quarantine or lockdown yeah. is reduced. So I'm glad I got it. Um, but I'm also glad I was vaccinated first. But um but I understand, like, you don't want to do it if people tell you to do it, even if it's a good idea, like you want to spite them, right? Uh, <laughs> but everyone's got a different opinion on this, and that's what that's the way the world should be, right? Some people are anti-vaccine like you are. Some people say, I'm not anti-vaccine. I'm just anti this vaccine, right? Or I'm anti this yeah, vaccine oh, yeah. right now. I'm so not, you dude, have I, I've had a tetanus shot. I had a right. tetanus shot a few years ago. I'm not completely anti-vaccine. I'm right. just looking at this thing, and it's like I'm just like, I, they were calling for a vaccine from this, like right from the start. Yeah. You know, and I'm just like, well, wait a minute. Can we find out what this is? For We don't even know where this came from right now. Yeah. And it's like, we don't know the origin of it. We don't know if it's lab lab made, if it was gain of function, if it came from a bat or a pangolin or whatever. And it's like, I'd like to know these things first, you know, and then talking to Knut Witkowski, who is a, mainline doctor worked for Hoover University for years and years and years has every vaccine known to mankind in his body has taken it into his body and then when he heard about this he's like I like the he said mRNA technology is going to be the future he goes I'm just not going to get this vaccine right now because I need to see more testing on it yeah 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 and that you know that was that's that sounds way too reasonable yeah yeah, yeah, no, it's like, yeah, it's like you know, I had dinner. It's not like I, I know the guy over Skype. I had dinner or Zoom. I had dinner with the guy. I, I think that talked, con- I looked I, in his eyes, you know. But that contradicts some of the Twitter advice by Joy Reid on 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 Twitter. So it's got to be unreasonable. What do you think of all this? And how much of a how much of an influence do you think that like the insanity that goes on on Twitter carries out into the real world? I mean, I think Twitter is more of a symptom than a cause, but I guess it, it goes both ways. Um, we do have this weird mania now, and I do think that we're having – I thought a year or two ago we had peak peak SJW, 
or peak panic, uh, what do you call it? peak cancel culture, but it looks like it's just getting worse. It's got to reach a peak at some point. Look, my view on the COVID thing is same, similar to yours. I think the lockdowns have been horrible. The, the, the mask mandates have been stupid and horrible. Um, the social distancing is stupid and horrible. All of it's been horrible. Um, but I got to believe as bad as it is, it's temporary um, because I think we're going to have fatigue at some point because we're, I just don't think everyone's going to live like this forever. Although in the beginning of this in 2020, I wouldn't have thought it'd be a year and a half later either. So I don't know. Um, I guess I just don't think that, uh, you know, the top, what do you, what do you, what do you say the top five or six things are that the state does the, the type the worst thing that government's always done to us war, the drug war, taxation, central bank, government schools, intellectual property. I know not everyone thinks it should be up there, but those things, right? The permanent things. <laughs> um, I just don't think that COVID is going to be up there forever, the response. But um, if it is, I think we're screwed. <laughs> you know, uh, Luckily, we have an international system, right? So everyone's treating it differently, like even Denmark and some other countries, I think, are, are, are some of these other countries are ending their lockdowns now. Even the UK refused to do one the other day uh, to escalate it. So maybe that fact will keep us from keeping it forever because it will just become too obvious that it's ridiculous. Uh, I'm just hoping a year from now we're, you know, 90% back to normal. Maybe I'm being Pollyanna. I don't know. I had talked about vaccine mandates in March of last year. I had talked about uh, passports in March of last year, uh, but I had actually said that I thought the mask would be gone by July of last year. So I was way off on that one. Um, I, I wish I wasn't as right about a lot of this stuff yeah. as I was because um <sighs> People seem to really like this. They are enjoying the mania. There are a lot of people who are, it's get, I hate to say it this way because, you know, you're a successful person. I'm a successful person. We look, we enjoy these. I mean, we get so much out of doing what we do. There are people out there whose lives are so empty that this actually gave them purpose. I agree. It's it's an it's a, it's an excuse to pile on. Like for example, I was thinking recently about all these mandates. Uh, like I think Biden or someone in his administration is proposing um, that you have to be vaccinated. I think Fauci proposed that you have to be vaccinated to travel, uh, which could be unconstitutional. But who knows? But the point is, you could almost empathize or understand why they would want the vaccine mandate. Um, in general, if they think it will protect people, okay, we don't agree with the means, but I, you understand it. But if you don't exempt people that have had that have had COVID and have recovered, then it's not really about protecting people, right? And for the travel thing, it's almost like they see an excuse to punish people. Like it's a it's it's not a way to protect people. It's a way to hit them when it hurts the most to force them to go along for their social program, right? So yeah. If you really want to travel, this is the price you have to pay. You have to get the vaccine first. It's not really about protecting them, right? Um, and they've changed their tune, of course. In the beginning, everyone was saying the vaccine was to prevent you from getting sick. Maybe not 100%, but most people would prevent you from getting sick. Now they're saying, oh, no, it was never about preventing you from getting sick. Now it's just about reducing the symptoms, which I think is still an, a, a huge accomplishment, and I think it does that. But that wasn't the story, right? So now they're changing their tune, and you have Biden even saying – we need to force people to get vaccinated to protect the vaccinated people from the unvaccinated. So it's like, what the hell is your message even, you know? Um, 
So yeah, I'm. I guess I'm with you on all this. Um, but I feel like, in a way, we're repeating the same refrain. Uh, we we all know what's wrong with this, but we've been in this for 18 months now. Yeah. The well, when you look at like comments like Liana Wu, this doctor who used, I think she used to be with the CDC. I can't remember, and now she's she. I can't remember who she's working for now, but she was on Wolf Blitzer, and she said. This was a while back. She said, we really need to use vaccines as a stick and we need to basically restrict people's freedom until they take it. And you're hearing that a lot. I mean, I just heard an audio from like some hospital administrators out in the out um, out west who were saying we need to make this sound worse than it actually is. Yeah. When you Alex Jones, because you can get real Alex Jones when you hear people talking like that. It's like, why do they want this thing in me so much? Yeah, yeah. We're we're really at the point now that I'm expecting to see the term herd immunity like removed, like newspeak, like just taken out of any kind of medical text or any conversation. And anyone who's talking about herd immunity may as well be talking about like a um, a geocentric universe. Or well, a, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a strange time we're in, you know, it's a strange time. And then on top of that, this has led to like a complete ignoring of fiscal sanity, right? So now we've just gone from people kind of worried a little bit in the background about this huge national debt from three, four years ago. And now it's like it's doubled. <laughs> and we're spending like three, four, five, six, seven trillion dollars extra. And it's like and we're once- finally seeing it, we're finally seeing that inflation, the price inflation that you know, we've been talking about since 2008 when they started printing trillions. Yeah. And, and all the yeah, and all these idiots are saying, oh, it's a temporary thing. It's because of supply, supply chain uh, disruption because of COVID, but it'll good. it'll settle down. It's like, no, it's not settling down. It's it's um it's about to happen. You know, we're we're seeing it happen. Yeah. I mean, I just don't know other than at this point, I'm saying that local, if you're going to take a make a political solution. I really think that looking at like HAPA, what must be done is the thing you should be doing and not, you know, just jumping right in. Hey, we need to privatize the schools and everything like that. But if you're in a red area and local and the local politicians are of the same mind as, you know, you know, no one should be forced to wear a jab. Your your kid shouldn't be forced to wear a mask, something like that. Then we really should maybe start working at local politics and start building up those 10,000 Lichtensteins that, you know, Papa talks about. Of course. Um, but that's not going to be good enough for a lot of people who are more impatient and they want uh, 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 something we can do right now. Um, I mean, think about a businessman, an employer in Florida right now. Uh, they're caught between two masters, right? Because they're being told by DeSantis that if they require vaccines, they're going to be fined. And they're being told by Biden that they must ask for, they must insist on vaccines. So they're they're screwed. <laughs> what, what are they? What are you supposed to do? Just leave Florida? <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Uh, uh, fire you fire your employees to get below that one hundred employee threshold, which is another ridiculous thing about the mandate. Like, why would you exempt small businesses from if it's really a pressing issue? 
why wouldn't it cover all businesses? Well, and considering that small businesses out outnumber exactly. large businesses, I mean, but that's one of those things is people, it's a very, it's something that libertarians, you know, like say, oh, well, you know, if you can vote with your feet. Well, not everybody can vote with their feet, no. especially business owners. Business owners are kind of stuck. And business, no one has been taking a beating on this in the last 18 months more than small business owners. Because no, no, of course not. But especially like landlords, right? Landlords are totally screwed because they're demonized, even though they're they have to pay the bank for their mortgages uh, or for their loans, right? And service their their buildings, and yet they can't collect rent and they can't keep people keep people out. It's it, it, so you know because the, the the banks have political clout, and then the poor have political clout you know they're going to get protected but the the landlords are stuck in between and there's lots of other businesses that they don't have a high profile that are stuck in between um but you had i think you had thomas massey on when he was suge- he suggested that uh to 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 escape the um to evade the 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 biden mandate that you you ask your employer to treat you like a contractor which of course is highly it's just as impractical as saying moves change states um but it's also probably illegal. I mean, if you could escape, you get a employment, 1099 everyone. <laughs> yeah, this is why it's it's Ill, it, this is Uber saw this in California. You can't just to call your employees contractors to escape employment regulations. Otherwise, everyone would do that. I mean, there there if you fit the definition of employee, you are an employee whether you're you're called that or not. And if you try to evade it, then you're evading taxes and regulations and all that. You don't have the option to just say, "Oh, I'm." A, I'm an I'm a contractor um, because you're not if you're under the supervision of your company and there's certain criteria by, by which you're an employee. So that that won't work either. So that's futile. I, I understand people trying it, but most employers are going to say, no, screw you, because they're they're going along with the with the propaganda anyway. Most employers, they're not going to be sympathetic to an employee saying, please reclassify me as a contractor. Well, could a say a company has 200 employees or say they have 190 employees, could they just split it in half? I think I think you 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 could if they wanted to. I actually think something similar to that happened uh, when Obamacare was introduced. There were these different man thresholds that um, where a certain size of employment base meant you were subject to the to the regulations of Obamacare. So I think like here in Houston, there's a restaurant chain called Hillstone. It's a national chain. It's not that big, but it's Hillstone. It's kind of an up upscale. And one of their sub brands is called Houston's, which is not related to my city, but there's one here. So that Houston's restaurant location here next to my house, which we've gone to for years, changed their name two or three times. They they were Hillstone, then they were back to Houston's. Then they were Hillstone, now they're back to Houston's again. And my understanding is they were doing that because the corporation was re- reorganizing to keep different subsidiaries under these limits to, to evade Obamacare regulations. So I suspect some companies will do that for uh, any Biden mandate. And then, of course, the bureaucrats, the OSHA will just modify the rules. I mean, they'll just change the threshold down to 50. You know, so this, by the way, this is. This is one thing I pointed out in my writing, and others have too, um, like Hoppe, that one of the problems with making law in society by legislation, which administrative law and regulations are a subset, um, is that it increases uncertainty in society because you never know what the law is because the government can just change the rule from day to day. 
Um, if it's the common law that evolves and, and organically comes about, even if it's an unjust rule, it's kind of like permanent or like slow moving. So you can predict what it is at least. So you can adapt and respond to it. And if you change your business model to, to respond to whatever the law is, even if you don't like it, then it's going to be that way and you can, you can adapt. But if, if they could just change the rules the next day, then you never know what's going on. And that's bad for the economy. It's got bad for planning. It reduces overall wealth and efficiency. And that's the, that's the world we live in now. How much do you think that Bitcoin can help this? A lot. I think Bitcoin can help a lot because a lot of this, just like war, is driven by the ability of a government to spend money that they don't have. right? And they can only do that because… Um, they're not limited by taxation anymore because of the Federal Reserve and the printing press. And I, I, I have hope that Bitcoin is going to – I think Bitcoin might fix this too, right? Bitcoin fixes so many things in, potentially, and if you cut off the government's printing press, I mean how could they have paid for all those people to have the unemployment benefits and the PPP payments and all this if they didn't have um, um, their printing press? If you take the printing press away, they've got a tax. They can't run a deficit. They can't. They they just cannot spend money they don't have. So I think Bitcoin could put them on a huge budget. When you put people on a budget, they have to act more rationally. So perhaps it could have changed a lot of this. You know, if the if the, con, if the politicians knew they didn't have one trillion, two trillion, five trillion, seven trillion to throw around, to, to, to throw around, it would have affected their calculus. It, it would have had to have had. I'm pretty sure it's safe to say that if you're someone who listens to this episode, you care about liberty, especially individual liberty. There's also a good chance you're tired of waiting around for political change, tired of being duped by political parties and filling you with hope and then never coming through. If you're ready to take matters into your own hands, then I want to tell you about a new community called the Nomad Network. The Nomad Network is the number one community for liberty-minded people like us who want to create freedom in our lifetimes by focusing on entrepreneurship, investment, and income mobility. I've been on there for about a week and a half. It's just one person after another posting their W's, talking about what they have going on, and it just looks like the place to be at this point. I'm going to be spending a lot of time on there. Whether you have an existing business or you're looking to start one or simply need to network with like-minded people, I think the Nomad Network is definitely the place for you. The best part is it's free to join. Just go to www.nomadnetwork.app forward slash Pete. See what everyone's talking about. That's www.nomadnetwork.app forward slash Pete and open your free account today. Last year, a lot of people were saying that this reaction to the coronavirus was mostly to make sure that Trump didn't get elected. And I said, sure, that's, that could be a good byproduct of it, but it was worldwide. This was happening all over the world. How do you explain that? How do you explain that there were so many, that there were so few countries and so few commonwealths that just didn't buy into this. And it just seemed to be like, I mean, let, let's go into conspiracy theory land here. It looked like an orchestrated global effort. And then you look at what's happening. And I mean, let's talk about this. Australia. Have you been following what's going on in Australia? Yeah, loosely. What do you think that, I mean, it's, it's in, people are getting beaten in the streets by the police for bringing their masks down. The military are actually patrolling the streets there. 
what the hell is what is that i don't know i think it shows that um these so-called open societies that we always thought were like the west was more of a liberal tolerant open society um I mean, as much of a critic as I've always been of the United States and the Constitution for our worship of it, um, there's something about having our written Constitution and our written Bill of Rights, which which was at least somewhat inspired by some lip service liberal ideas, um, has put down some kind of limits, at least paper limits, on what the state does here. Whereas in in the in the other parts of the Commonwealth, they never had that, right? So Australia, probably Canada, the UK. Uh, there really shows that it shows the state has no limits. Um, even the ones that, that, <laughs> that you think of as the kinder, gentler states. I mean, I, I don't know if you watched uh, The Handmaid's Tale on, um, I guess, eight, whatever network it's on. But, and they show, you know, the US has become a theocracy, a fascist theocracy, neo Christian theocracy. And Canada is this kinder, gentler place. And when all the, all the, um, all the people that the refugees from the U.S. go there, they get welfare payments to set up their house and to pay their food. And it's so kind and gentle. But Jesus Christ, it doesn't look like that now, does it? The, the Commonwealth countries, they're not they're not so kind and gentle, are they? I mean, the, the teeth of the state are shiny and sharp, <laughs> even if they hide it sometimes. Yeah, I just that blatant propaganda for Canada when you have Trudeau, who's just basically he would have. Canada turn into Australia overnight if I'm assuming if it wasn't for the fact that the United States is right here next to it, that may be one one thing that's restraining it in some way. Um, or the fact that that's a country full of insane rednecks. I don't think people realize that once you get outside of like the eastern parts of Can- of Canada, you're you're dealing with some serious rednecks that will um that are pretty tough. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you, you, you kind of wonder if things like this might slowly increase the odds of secession movements, like in the U.S. I mean, you know, you think of New York as like a, or as a, um, as a blue state, blue state, right? But yeah, yeah. lots of it is rural and very red. Um, the same with even California, right? And, um, and even Texas has red, red, uh, blue parts outside of the, uh, of the, of of the red of the red areas well, Dallas know, and Fort Worth are red and blue right on top of each other yeah even even Houston where I live uh, people think it's conservative it's not it's it's um I, the impression I get from living here is it's a bunch of uh um it's a bunch of Democrats and a bunch of limousine neoliberal neo-republican types so it's it's pretty it's pretty blue here too God I wish they wouldn't have picked you know well, that was from the that was from the Gulf War wasn't it when CNN uh, pick those colors. Oh no, that was from the that was from the Gore Bush election in 2000 when they chose red and blue to represent Bush and Gore. And it's always confusing to me because I always associate red with commies, which would be the Democrats. I've always got to flip it in my mind to remember which one's which. Yeah, but going back to secession now. Um, yeah, I. When you talked about secession in January of 2020, it was basically theoretical. Yeah. Uh, Texas talks about it all the time. Even California brings it up and everything. I'm pretty well convinced that we are going to see it in my lifetime, that there is going to be some, there something is going to break off in my lifetime. And when one thing breaks off, it is just going to, it, it'll be dominoes falling. 
Well, you know, what's heartened me a little bit is that the federalism we have in the U.S. has has not decayed in the sense that there's still a recognition by the feds that the states are the kind of the, the fundamental units here. Um, I mean, even Biden has been a little bit frustrated by the some of the actions of some of the governors he doesn't like, but that's a recognition on his part that he can't really control what they do. So and he may but like he may butt heads with Florida if his OSHA mandate conflicts with the state law in Florida. What's going to happen? I mean, that's to me, it's a good. I mean, I'm, I feel sorry for the businessman caught in the middle, but um, it still is a, is a display of, of federalism. So. Every state maintains its identity, and there are some states that have this – like even Texas has this sort of this secession idea built into its makeup. Um, so I think it's still possible here. By the way, this is one reason I've always despised these centralist libertarians like the Cato types. Uh, like Tim Sandifer is a good example. That they, they, They've argued that, oh, the United States is one country, and every state's not sovereign. They want the federal government to be central, supreme. And have plenary power. It's just that, it's straight out of the, it's objectivism. Yeah, the objectivists at least it, they at least admit that they're rationalists and um, and some of them if you if you ask them like well your opposition to anarchy wouldn't that imply that anarchy on the international plane is also bad and we shouldn't have two hundred states we should have one and most of them if they're honest they'll say they'll 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 sort of reluctantly admit yes ideally we want one world government. But in today's world, that wouldn't be practical. It's like, yeah, well, it's never practical, dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Ayn Rand said the moral is the practical. So if you're admitting something's not practical, maybe it's immoral and in principle too. Dumbass. Well, one of the places that myself and Scott Horton um, diverge is I'm not a libertarian universalist at all. I mean, I'm I'm a hoppy and covenant community guy who just believes that that's the only way that's the only way that we're going to achieve any kind of libertarianish kind of society is to break it down to as small as possible and exclude people from it and i mean that's just and what better example than the last 18 months i mean you do no. not want to share a polity with these people i mean it is just insane well not only that if you imagine a world of ten thousand Liechtensteins, then everyone's got the power of exit right you can go anywhere and you can you can find your you can find your groove you know you can find your jam you can find your community that you like um it seems to be that would be the least objectionable even to the left but they have this totalitarian control impulse you know they don't want people to be able to escape um, their controls. But the other reason I think that this Hoppian enclave, uh, this private law society idea uh, makes sense is because it seems to me it's inevitable if you are the anarchist like we are, which is you don't believe in the state, but you're not for chaos. So the one common criticism of us anarchists is that we don't believe in law. Now, that's a false, unfair charge because it's made by people who either honestly or disingenuously maintain that um, law is not possible without the state. I mean they don't think education or communication or roads or money is possible without the state. So they're they're dishonest or they're stupid. But but the point is they equate law with the state. So if we say we're against the state, they think we're for chaos. Um, um, and so when we anarchists say that there, there can't be law, then we're kind of taking their side. We're agreeing with them that there can't be a law without the state. But we 
we private property anarchists believe there would be law. But what that means is all the institutions that the state has monopolized, um, they would have a private analog. Not all of them, like the drug war would not, but um, but education would and roads would, right? And uh, money would. So all these things could be in law. There would be law and order. It just would be done privately. So we libertarians have to believe that there would be private hierarchies and natural authority structures and figures that would have to emerge to fill the role that the state has co-opted and monopolized. We would do a better job of it. It would be more decentralized, more focused, more tailored, more measured, more tolerant, more reasonable. You know, Everything about it would be better, but it would exist, and that would necessarily result in diverse communities of different types. It would necessarily result in that because you, you, everyone's not the same, and to imagine a world of bland homo homogeneity is just absurd. You're going to have clusters of different types of things in the world if you let people associate freely. Just like in, in the U.S. today, with somewhat freedom, we have voluntary segregation. You have different – you have Chinatown. You, know, you have uh, black neighborhoods. You have Hispanic areas. It's not 100 percent uniform, but you do tend to have people – likes tend to associate with likes. Uh, not just racially or ethnically, but by different things, class, you know, religion, um, whatever. So I think you're going to have to expect some kind of coagulation, some kind of lumpiness in the way things spread out on the surface of the earth if you allow freedom. So you would have different enclaves, and they would have their own rules and customs and traditions. Yeah, I was on Tim Pool last week, and I had made the comment. Yeah, he introduced me as a libertarian podcaster, so I was – and you might not agree with this, but I was saying that, you know, when I think of the left, I think of chaos. When I think of the right, I think of order. And I'm thinking of Hoppe. I'm thinking about Hoppe. Hoppe talks about the right being more about hierarchy and hierarchy yeah. brings about order. Yeah. And when you're destroying hierarchy, it's just freaking chaos. And I, what's funny is I looked at the comments. I had my phone and I'm looking at the comments and someone said, I, I thought all libertarians wanted chaos. You're right. So that's what they actually think. People who are non-libertarians think that we're all about chaos. Yeah, and, and then, those people are they're, – they're more sincere. They just are confused. They just don't know. But uh, yeah, I actually don't think I disagree with you on that. I used – so I used to think when I was younger, I used to think that um, the simplistic ver – like the first – the first version was simplistic, the Nolan chart idea that, uh, oh, the left believes in personal liberties and the right believes in economic liberties, and we just believe in both. That's not exactly right, right? Um, the way I then uh, the way I thought of it after that was, well, the left is worse on personal and economic liberties, and the right is bad on both, but they're not as bad as the left, and we're better on both. Okay, and that's a better approximation. But over time, I started thinking, well, left just means soft socialist. And the right means nothing because conservatism is not coherent. It just means – and if you think about the Republican Party, it's this weird um, agglomeration of three groups that have nothing in common. You have the neocons, and you have the moral majority Christians, and you have the chamber of commerce types, which are the best ones, I believe, the kind of small business free market types, chamber of commerce types. The moral majority types are just kind of loose theocrats, and I don't know why they're free market at all. And then the, you have the neocons who are basically warmongers, right, and establishment. Um, Crush the anti-fascist. Sorry. So um, – but now I kind of agree with – when Hoppe put it in one of his articles, he said the essential definition or the essential characteristics of them is that the left 
is inherently egalitarian, which is anti-natural, anti-nature because it, it's anti-hierarchy and anti-authority. And the right is realistic. In other words, they re, they recognize that in an, in a private society, you're going to have natural hierarchies and natural differences arise. So to that extent, I would agree with him, and I would take the side of the right. So if you define it that way, which I think is loosely analogous to your chaos and order perspective, because if you have egalitarianism, you're going to have chaos because you're obliterating natural distinctions, and you're trying to force people into a mold that is not natural. You're going to have chaos, um, and the right recognizes order. Um, so I think that the this 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 conservative view of respecting being realistic about the differences between people and allowing natural authority figures and hierarchies to emerge that would replace and supplant what the state has co-opted is the only way to be. And you have to temper that with some kind of libertarian principles, right? To not have a theocracy or fascism or something. But um, I guess that's how I see the right and left now is is um, is uh, egalitarian, which is unnatural and destructive versus being realistic about human nature. I've really been talking about Hoppe a lot lately, and especially what must be done. We did a, I did a live stream with a couple of guys where we looked at the last 15 minutes of what must be done, the speech that he did uh, for the Mises Institute back in 96. And yes. um, he was talking about, one of the things that he talked about was on the local level, you're going to need leadership and that there are natural elites. And yes. I think that that makes, you know, and then he has that, I guess, booklet, natural elites, intellectuals in the state. Yeah. And um, that's where you know, the, the ANCAP, the people who are living in Ancapistan in their head who can't, who wouldn't even consider using the what must be done thing because, oh, it's politics and I'm never going to get involved with politics in any way. And that'd be fine if they would just shut up. Right. Um, but but the there, a lot of them are also, a lot of them are opposed to this idea of natural elites. They have this sort of, and you see this among the left libertarians, right? Who hate the idea of employment. You hate the idea of bossing people around, and um, you know they almost give some proof to the criticism that we're for chaos. Because yeah, if you oppose every private elite or authority figure or institution or hierarchy that would emerge in the vacuum of the state to fill the role that the state has been filling, then you're going to have chaos. So. There's some, there's some, um, you know, there's some ground to the criticism of us being in favor of chaos. If you listen to the way we're depicted by the left libertarians who are opposed to this natural elites idea. Yeah, I mean, and when it comes down to how do you define it? Natural elites are the people in your community that instinctively, if there's a problem, people would go to and ask Correct. for their advice. Well, well, not only that, you have natural elites in different dimensions of society. I mean, if you have a medical problem, you go to someone who's known to be a good healer, a doctor. You know, if you have a legal problem, you go to a lawyer. If you have, if you want to build a building, you go to an architect. Then they have reputations within their communities, but they have specialties. That's what the division of labor and the specialization of labor is about. So you have different people that acquire a reputation. And people go to them because they are more – they have a higher quality rating basically. And so for dispute resolution, the same thing would happen. I mean this is the idea of how kings emerged, right? The kings weren't like the, – they weren't dictators or despots. They were just the people that were the wise men in town that everyone respected their judgment and authority. And if you, if you need – if two people have a dispute and they don't want to have to fight about it and have eternal warfare, 
uh, between their clans or between themselves, you want to have some neutral third party settle your dispute. So who would you pick? Some Someone who's an idiot? <laughs> I mean, a literal idiot <laughs> or, or a stranger or someone who's trusted and known and wise and fair and has a reputation to guard. I mean, it's just obvious how these things would emerge in society. You were saying that you were hoping that a year down the line that things would start slowly going back to normal, whatever that's going to look like. I mean, we can't get back to normal. Um, we're not going to get back to what it was in 2020, um, no. January of 2020. There's going to be remnants of this that are left over. And especially in areas, I think, you know, the federalism that we've been talking about, you're, New York's going to try and keep this going, California, Illinois, those places are going to try and keep this going um, as long as possible. Do you see it getting getting worse before it gets better? I, I I don't. I think that it's it's uh, it hasn't improved as quickly as I hoped because of the, I think mainly because of Delta the, this Delta surge which has either happened or given them an excuse to extend their controls. Um, but I think there's a growing oh and the vaccine in a sense has helped because the more people that get it maybe they have an excuse not to be so paranoid anymore, right? I don't even know. It's probably not as much of a panacea as they think, but at least it gives them. Um, it, it gives them cover to to kind of stop being as 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 paranoid as they were before. Uh, so maybe they can stop wearing masks with they can they can save face a little bit, you know, by showing their face. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I, I guess I'm maybe optimistic, but I am hopeful that it will get slowly better over the next uh, over the next six months. I'm gonna let you go, man, because I know you're um, getting prepared for a long, long journey. So um, thank you. Thanks for coming on. And um, you want to, what's your website again? Where you Stephen, put everything? Stephan and my IP stuff's at c4sif.org. And uh, yeah, I thought we were going to talk about your post-libertarianism, which I've been hearing about, which I haven't heard elaborated yet. So may, maybe one day we can talk about that. Oh yeah, you... yeah, that'd be cool. Um, also, when it comes to subjects that make people absolutely insane, especially libertarians, abortion. Yep. Um, borders, yeah, and IP. There's, no, <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it's just, and I, I've we've done we've done a couple episodes on IP. We actually did an episode on China and IP, and um, yeah, nothing makes nothing makes people as insane as that. I well, mean, of it, those it, three, IP is the easiest because the answer is so clear once you see it. Uh, abortion is always going to be an intractable issue, and um, Although I think that there's a pretty easy libertarian political approach to it, and borders is also very difficult, and it probably will be difficult until the state is radically minimized. We have decentralization. As long as we have a big democratic welfare state, uh, the immigration issue will always be a problem because if you have open borders, you'll have problems, and if you don't have open borders, you have problems. So there's really no solution as long as you have the state, which is why the anarchist approach is the only one really for the intractable problem, intractable problems. Thanks a lot, man. Have safe travels. Thanks, Pete. I want to thank you for tuning into the Free Man Beyond the Wall podcast. I want to thank Stefan for coming on the show. That's it. We'll be back in a few days with another episode. Take care and bye.